First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the most special part of our worship service will happen in just a few minutes when we come to the table and take the Lord's Supper together. And today's message is going to be about uh, the Lord's Supper also, uh, because it is important that at least from time to time, uh, we study what the Bible has to say about this meal and why it is so important uh, for us as followers of Christ. And, you know, there are a lot of ways that uh, you can study the Lord's Supper in the Bible. Uh, one of them is, is just to go to one of the accounts in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, where we read about the first Lord's Supper that Jesus had with his disciples in that upper room the night before he went to the cross. Uh, another way is to go to 1 Corinthians 11, the chapter after the one that we're looking at. And 1 Corinthians 11 is the longest teaching on the Lord's Supper uh, outside of the four Gospels. But another way to go about it, and uh, the way that we are following today, is to think about one of the names that is given to the supper in the Bible. And one of those names in Scripture given to the Lord's Supper is the name communion. And we use that name sometimes here. We talk about taking communion. When is the next time that we will have communion together? And when we say that, we're referring to this meal. Now, our English word communion comes from the Greek word koinonia. And communion is just one of the ways that that word can be translated. The word koinonia can be translated as fellowship or partnership or even a sharing in something together. And probably the word fellowship is uh, the most common way that we translate koinonia. And so while we call the Lord's Supper a communion, we could just as well call it a fellowship. It is a fellowship meal. And we're going to talk today about what that means, that we call this a fellowship or a communion, and why uh, that matters for every single one of us. I think it's important that uh, we do talk about it. I don't know what um, background you're from or, or if you, uh, uh, what, what other churches that you have been a part of uh, before, uh, but in uh, Baptist churches, uh, we don't know about everything, but we do think we know about one thing, and that is how to eat and how to have a fellowship. And we think we've got the market cornered on how to have a fellowship, and, and there's a few essentials uh, to having a good fellowship. Uh, first of all, if you're going to have a good fellowship, you have to have it in a room that's called the fellowship hall. And we have one of those right over here. You cannot have a fellowship unless it's in a room called the fellowship hall. Uh, secondly, another essential is casseroles. Can you say the word casserole? Casseroles, and the more casseroles, the merrier. That makes for a good fellowship. Uh, the third essential uh, are deviled eggs. Uh, we don't like the devil, but we love deviled eggs. And you can't have too many of them either. You just want to have one plate of them, so everybody is fighting over them. Uh, of course, in a godly Christ-like way. But that's what we need. We need to have deviled eggs. And then lastly, fourth of all, you have to have some punch, preferably some green punch. So those are the four Baptist essentials for fellowship. You've got to have a fellowship hall. Uh, you got to have uh, casseroles, you got to have deviled eggs, and you got to have some punch. 
In fact, even as I list those things off, it sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> if you were to give me those things right now, I'd probably take some of those. Uh, but but, but the, here's the deal. The Bible, when it talks about fellowship, uh, of course, it means a lot more than that. And it goes a lot deeper than that. Let's read about it. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 16 and 17. The cup of blessing which we bless. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body. For we all partake of that one bread. Let's pray together. Father God, we pray today as we open your word that you would teach us, Father, truly what it means to have fellowship with you and fellowship with one another. Father, you would teach us how these things are pictured in this meal that you have given us. Father, I pray for the one here who, as of right now, does not enjoy that fellowship with you that only comes through your son Jesus, that they might experience that by coming to faith in you today. And Lord, for your church, would you build us up according to your word that we might, Father, think deeply and enjoy deeply the fellowship that you have given us with yourself, and we ask it in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Well, the passage that we just read is about the table of the Lord. But before we talk about the table of the Lord, I want us to talk for a minute about the Lord of the table. Because we cannot understand what is going on at the Lord's table until we understand who this Lord is. And so I want you to mark your place there in 1 Corinthians 10. We are going to come back to that text. But I want you to go with me just for a minute to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Now this is not a passage about the Lord's Supper, but it is a passage that talks about fellowship and why we can have fellowship with God. Let's look at just the first three verses of this letter. 1 John 1 verse 1. And we read, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. See, we've said that the table speaks about the fellowship that we can have with God, the fellowship that we can have with each other. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But I want us to to, to think about, as we look at this passage, this question. How is it that it's even possible for us to have fellowship with God? How is it even possible for us to have fellowship with God? And here is the truth. Fellowship with God and with each other is only possible, first off, because of who Jesus is. If it were not for Jesus then we as sinful people could not have fellowship with God. Jesus is the one who makes it possible. And John starts out by describing who Jesus is in these verses. He writes again in verse 1, that which was from 
the beginning. And when you read that, you probably think first of the first verse in the Bible that says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Or perhaps your mind turns to the first verse of the Gospel of John. It was written by this same John. And this is how the Gospel of John begins. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And I believe that this is what John is talking about as he opens this letter of 1 John as well. The the fact that Jesus was from the beginning. or As the church father said, there was never a time when he was not. Verse 2 draws that truth out as well. When John refers to Jesus as the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested or made known to us. What he's saying there there is that before Bethlehem happened, before Jesus was born, the Son of God existed and was there with the Father, that he is eternal just as the Father is. And there are so many scriptures that bear out uh, that important truth, but I'll mention just one, John 17, verse 5. Jesus spoke these words to his disciples the night before he went to the cross, the same night that he shared the first Lord's Supper with them. And this is what he said. And now, O Father, as he's praying to his Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Before the world was even created, Jesus says that he was with the Father, and that they shared glory together. And back in 1 John, that's the first thing that John wants us to know about who Jesus is. That he is the eternal Son of God who was from the beginning and was always with the Father. And yet what John says next is really the most amazing part. That one day at the center of the storyline of the Bible, this eternal Son of God appeared and was manifested to us, and was born as a man. Look again at 1 John 1, verses 1 and 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. John wants us to know a couple of things. First off, there were some people running around in John's day who were teaching that Jesus wasn't really a real man. Uh, That he just seemed like he had a real body, but that he really didn't. That he was kind of like a ghost. And, And John is just kind of swatting that right out of the gate. And he's saying, no way, we saw him. We heard him. Our hands have handled him. We have touched him. And his point is, he was real. That he was really God. That he was also really man. That he was fully God. And that he was fully man. But also John is driving home the point that he and the other disciples were eyewitnesses of all of this. That they didn't just run around and gather up secondhand stories. They didn't need to. They saw it all for themselves. John says, we have heard, and we have seen, and our hands have handled. Verse 2 says, that life was manifested, and we have seen, and bear witness, and declare to you. Verse 3 says, that which we have seen, and heard, 
we declare to you. John is saying, put me up on the witness stand because I have seen firsthand everything that I'm telling you about. But here is the main point. Notice why John wants his readers to know who Jesus is. It's so that they can experience what the end of verse 3 talks about. That which we've seen and heard, we declare to you. Why? That you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. This is why John is saying everything that he's saying. The word that's translated fellowship there is the same Greek word koinonia that's translated communion in our main text in 1 Corinthians 10. Again, the reason why John is writing this letter, the reason why John is going around sharing the message that he's sharing, the reason why John is telling people about this Jesus who was with the Father and was made known to us is because it's only through this Jesus that we can have fellowship with God and real fellowship with one another. Who Jesus is, the eternal Son of God who became a man, makes that fellowship possible. Of course, it's not just who Jesus is, but it's also because of what Jesus has done. And that's really what's implied throughout this passage. When, when John says that he saw and heard Jesus, he doesn't just mean that he saw and heard Jesus during his earthly ministry, that he saw him do miracles, that he heard him give teachings. No, when, when he talks about that, he's talking about everything that he's seen and heard. This same John was the one who was standing there by Jesus' mother, watching Jesus as he died and suffered on the cross. This same John was the one who ran to the tomb and saw the tomb empty on that resurrection Sunday. He saw that also. This is the same John who saw and touched and heard the resurrected Lord. He saw all of that, and it's because of what Jesus did, the fact that he died for our sin, the fact that he rose again on the third day. This is why any of us can have fellowship with God. Verse 7 really drives that home as well. John says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, he's describing the, the lifestyle of a Christian who by the grace of God has been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his marvelous light. He says, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The Bible says that all of us have sin. We've all done life our way instead of God's way. And that sin is like a stain on us that no late night infomercial stain cleaner can get out. There's only one thing that can take that stain away. The, the, the song says, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And the Bible says the same thing. That it's only his blood that can cleanse us of all our sins. It's only who Jesus is. And what Jesus has done that can take our sins away because it's only who Jesus is and what Jesus has done that can give us fellowship, true fellowship, koinonia, with God and with one another. Friend, what about you? Do you have that fellowship with God right now through a relationship with his son, 
Jesus Christ? Have you ever given your life completely over to Jesus and let him wash all of your sins away? I pray that you have, but if you haven't, I pray that today will be the day that you will. And so with that passage in mind about who this Lord of the table is, I want us to go back again to 1 Corinthians 10. We've talked about the Lord of the table, but now it's time to talk about the table of the Lord. And we don't have too much time to delve into this, but the context of this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is essentially idolatry. Paul is, is warning this church at Corinth, and this church had a lot of issues, a lot of problems if you've read through this letter before, but he's warning them about the danger of worshiping false gods in the pagan temples that were all around him. If you look at verse 14, he says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Run away from worshiping anything other than Jesus. He tells them in verses 19 through 21, right after our text, that when they go and take part of a sacrifice at at a pagan temple, that they were actually joining in together with the worship of that false god, that they were actually becoming partakers and sharers with that false god. And he says, even though those false gods are really nothing, that, that the demonic world lies behind these false gods. And you, through your worship, through your taking part of that are actually joining yourself. You're actually having koinonia with a demon when you do that. And so what Paul does as he makes this argument is that he uses the Lord's Supper as an illustration. He says on on the positive side, it's just like when you take the Lord's Supper. When you eat this meal, it's not just an empty symbol. It, It doesn't just mean nothing. When you take this supper that the Lord has given you, you are communing. You are having koinonia with the Lord and with other believers. Look at verse 16 again. He says, the cup of blessing which we bless. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? When Paul talks about this cup of blessing, he's talking about the cup that we drink when we come to the Lord's Supper table. And he calls it a cup of blessing because traditionally in the Passover meal, there were four different cups that they would drink from. The third one was called by this name, the cup of of blessing. We believe that Jesus on the night that he took the first Lord's Supper with his disciples that he used this third cup from the Passover meal and he infused it with far greater meaning and significance as Jesus held up this cup and said this cup is the new covenant, the new promise in my blood. The Bible says Jesus took the cup and he blessed it. And of course, we do the same thing. In just a few minutes when we take the cup together, we'll bless God for that cup. We'll thank God for that cup. That because Jesus drank the cup of suffering for us, that we get to drink the cup of God's blessing. And so as we think about the table of the Lord, the first thing that we see here is this. The table reminds us that because of Jesus, we can have fellowship with God. Now, we need to let that truth, the weight of that truth, sink in. We don't need to hear that and say, oh, oh yeah, I know Jesus died for me because he died for me. I can know God, you know, big deal. That, that is a big deal. 
It is a big deal that we who are sinful people, that we who are rebels against God, who have been running away from God, who have been living life on our own terms, that because of his great love and mercy towards us, that God, who is holy and perfect and righteous and pure, has made a way somehow for people like you and me to be able to have koinonia, fellowship with him. And the way that he did it was through the death of his own only begotten son. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 50 years, you should never get over that truth. This cup of blessing that we bless is a picture of the communion that we have with God because of the blood of Christ. And of course, it's not just the cup that is a picture of our communion, our fellowship with God. It's the bread as well. The second part of that verse says, the bread which we break Is it not the communion, the fellowship of the body of Christ? Again, here's another clear reference to the Lord's Supper, the bread which we break. In the upper room, the Bible says that Jesus took bread and he broke it and said, this is my body which is broken for you. But what was Jesus saying? That when he gave his life, his body on the cross for us, that because he died in our place, because he paid the price that we deserved to pay, that we get to have communion with God even though we don't deserve it, that we get to have communion with God even though we cannot earn it. As Ephesians 2 says, it is a gift that is received by grace through faith alone. And that is the good news of the Bible. And so because the cup and the bread speak about our fellowship with God, whenever we obey what Jesus told us to do, whenever we do this in remembrance of of him, we realize that the supper is truly more than a sign. As John MacArthur put it, when we take the supper, it is a profound celebration of a common spiritual experience that we share. He he compares it to looking at the picture of someone that we love. Of course, we all know that when you're looking at a, at a photograph, when you're looking at a picture, possibly in a, in a frame hanging up on the wall, that's not the same thing as the person. You're just looking at the picture. And yet, if it's the picture of someone you love, it's possible, even if that person were not there, right? It's possible to look at that picture and to be able to be filled with the feelings of love that you have for that person, the care that you have for that person, to even think back to the experiences that you have had with that person and so very truly as you look at that picture in your heart and in your life you can have the experience of real fellowship with them just by looking at their picture as MacArthur points out people don't know when you're looking at their picture and thinking about them but Jesus does know and when we look at the Lord's picture and we do that by taking the Lord's meal When we look at the Lord's picture and we remember him, he knows it. He is keenly aware when we are gathered at his table, remembering his death. And though the Lord is always with us, unlike the photograph, he lives within us. And yet in a special way, he meets with us when we take this meal that he has given us. We do have an intimate, real communion with him when we come to the table. 
The supper reminds us of the truth that it is through Jesus' body and blood that we can have a real fellowship with God, a fellowship that is here and now, and a fellowship that will be even more intimate with God for all of eternity. So when we call the Lord's Supper a communion, we're speaking, first of all, about our communion, our fellowship with God through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, but also we're talking about this, that because of Jesus, number two, we can have fellowship with one another. When we come to verse 17, Paul turns the corner and begins to talk about that. How our fellowship with God makes our fellowship and unity with other believers possible. Look at what he says, verse 17, for we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Notice that he starts to use the word body and the word bread a little bit differently here. Now he's saying that we are the body, that we are the bread. He's talking about how we who know Jesus as our Savior are all a part of the body of Christ. We won't turn there, but two chapters later in 1 Corinthians 12, he takes that metaphor even further. He talks about how we are all different members of the body in the same way that a body has different body parts. It has eyes and ears and feet. We are all different members of the body of Christ, and yet we make up one body. We're a part of the same body. But in this passage, he's connecting that truth to the Lord's Supper. He's saying we're all one body because of Christ's broken body, which is symbolized for us with the bread that we take of the Lord's Supper. Because his body was broken for us, and because we believe in Jesus, we get to be a part of that one body, the church. And you can see the rationale in the second part of that verse. He says, this is true, for we all partake of that one bread. Now when he says that we all partake of that one bread, he's not saying that we're saved just because we eat the Lord's Supper bread. Right? He's not saying that just in eating that bread alone that we will be saved. The truth is you could take the Lord's Supper every week at a different church all over the world and you could still be totally and completely lost. Because eating this bread is not what saves you. Paul is talking about the spiritual significance behind eating that bread. He's saying that when you eat that bread, if you are a true believer, what you are saying and what you are declaring as you eat that bread is that you've already eaten the real bread. Jesus said this in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me will never hunger. Knowing Jesus is the real bread that changes us and saves us. When you believe in Jesus, you're becoming a partaker of Jesus. You're receiving Jesus into your life. And then when we partake of this bread, it's a picture of something that is already true about us spiritually, that we've already partaken of Christ through faith in who he is and what he has done. 
Now, we have to remember that Paul is writing here to a church that is filled with people who have already done that, who've already come to Jesus, who have already partaken of Jesus, that one bread that gives life. And so now he's reminding them that when they break off a piece of that loaf as they take the Lord's Supper, that not only is it a picture of their fellowship with God, but as they break off that piece of that one loaf, it's a picture that they are a part of one body that they have fellowship with one another that is unlike anything you can find in the world. You see, the fellowship that we have in the church is such that what we share in common should trump any and all of our differences. It should not matter what our race is. It should not matter how much money we make. It should not matter where we grew up. All of those differences that help to make us unique and help to make us who who we are, none of those differences should separate us from another person in the church of Jesus Christ because you know what? We've all eaten from the same loaf. And we've all been saved by the same person. And we have all knelt down and asked for forgiveness at the foot of the same cross. And that that binds us together, church, as one body forever. And in a world of artificial, virtual relationships, right, that happen behind cell phones and computer screens, our fellowship with one another is not something artificial. It's based on something real, It's based on a real flesh and blood, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died for us and rose again and is even now at the right hand of the Father. Our fellowship isn't artificial, and also our fellowship isn't superficial. It's not based on the fact that we go to the same local church. It's not based on the fact that we cheer for the same football team. It's not based on the fact that we listen to the same music. It's not based on the fact that we eat at the same restaurants. It's not based on anything superficial like that. It is based upon something far deeper and eternal. Listen, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he has invited us into an eternal fellowship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We can have fellowship here with our triune God, and we can have fellowship there with our triune God forever. And we don't enjoy that fellowship alone. By God's design, we enjoy that fellowship with him together forever. And that is why coming to the table of the Lord should be such a sweet time for his church. Every time that we do it, it reminds us of why we are one with the Lord and why we are one with each other in this church family and why, by the way, we are one with all believers around the world who believe in the same Jesus that we do, no matter what denomination they might be in. Now, obviously, there are some things that are non-negotiables. That there are things that if we don't get them right, then we cannot be rightly called a Christian according to the word of God. But, but the things that divide us into denominations like Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians and what have you are not those things. We don't need to be like some people who put up huge barriers and have the mindset if that person or that church or that denomination doesn't believe every single jot and tittle the same way that I do, then, then they're 
probably not even a Christian because that's not true. What makes someone a Christian is faith in the Jesus that the Bible presents to us. Having a relationship with God through him. And I long for the day when we will share fellowship with one another in heaven. Well, it'll be a fellowship where we will not be split up into different denominations. We will all be together. We won't have to be separated because everybody will know that the Baptists were right. (laughs) Just kidding. But church, we will be together then at the same table with everyone who is called on the name of Jesus from every tribe and every tongue. We are one body because there is only one bread. And that truth is proclaimed every single time that we come to the table together. This is the fellowship of the table. It is the communion of the blood of Christ. It is the communion of the body of Christ. It is fellowship with the Lord and fellowship with one another. But friend, the order of those two things is crucial. We have to experience fellowship with the Lord before we can experience true fellowship with other believers. We have to become a believer ourselves before we can enjoy the fellowship that happens between believers. Here's another way to say that. We can't experience the fellowship of the table until we come to know the Lord of the table. Friend, Jesus died for you and me to save us from our sins. We cannot save ourselves, but we can turn to him and be saved. And at the end of the service today, I want to give you an opportunity to come to one of our pastors and to pray with them and to make that decision to trust Jesus as your Savior and your Lord if you have never done that before. But right now, I want to invite everyone here who already knows the Lord in a personal way to come to this table together. You don't have to be a a member of this church to come to the table with us. You just have to have a a real personal communion with God. If you have a real personal communion with God through his son, Jesus Christ, then you also have a communion with us. And so as our deacons prepare and come to lead us in the taking of the Lord's Supper, let me read for us the words that Paul said about the Lord's Supper in chapter 11, the chapter right after we looked at today. This is what Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As our deacons come forward at this time to lead us, And as we remember these words that the Lord gave us about this meal, we need to remember that this time together is both a solemn time and a time of celebration. 
It is a solemn time because we look back upon the sacrifice of Christ that makes it possible for us to know God, for us to know each other the way that we do. But church, it's also a time of celebration because as that last line says, every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We serve a risen Savior who is going to return very soon. 